sin, nothing but absolute nastiness, nothing but, you know, nothing. Never did anything good. Huh? Go on, say it. If you're going to say it, you might as well say it, punk. Even though that's the case, Christ came and did what? Huh? That's right. He he gave us his righteousness. Remember when I put the remember when I put the two the two accounts on the board? All of the stuff that I am, all the stuff I did was taken by him on the cross, remember? And all the stuff he did, the perfect righteousness never broke God's law, never did anything wrong, never, you know, never sinned not even once, but did everything perfectly right. He put all that on my account and why did he do that? Did he do it for everybody? He did it for everybody who believes in him, right? Remember, that's what it said, okay? So now, what's going to happen here in Romans 4 is, Paul is going to, Romans 4 is neat, it's like a little mini-sermon. And Paul is going to give us the objection that somebody who is real religious, somebody who is really, he's talking about like if a Jewish person were in the crowd listening to Paul preach this sermon, listening to Paul tell them about the righteousness of Christ, listening to him tell them that you are sinful and you are dirty and Jesus came to save you from that. He came to give you his perfection and he is the fulfillment of our righteousness. All, there would always be, see so Paul didn't just write this letter by itself. He's been going all over the place preaching this, you know, and synagogues and all that, and there would—I'm sure—there was always this objection about, well, what about Abraham? Now, two things you need to know before we start this chapter: for a Jewish person, Abraham was the be-all, end-all. He was the perfect man of God. He—they called him their—they called him their father. He to, to be Abraham's child was to be part of the people of God. Y'all understand that? Everybody get it? If if you could say, like, for instance, when when John the Baptist and the Pharisees came to him when he was baptizing, he said, don't say that just because you're Abraham's children that you're okay with God. He said, God can raise up children from Abraham out of these rocks right here if he wanted to. And then uh, when Zacchaeus, the wee little man, you know, the wee little man was he, uh, when he, uh, when he was saved in his house, uh, Jesus said, truly today salvation has come to this house for today this man is a child of Abraham. And so to be Abraham's child, to be a seed of Abraham meant that, you know, you were part of the people of God. And the reason that was, was because God gave Abraham a promise early in the, in the Old Testament in Genesis. He gave him the promise that he would be the heir of many nations and that all the world would be blessed through Abraham. Okay. All the world would be blessed. Now, if you go through the Old Testament and you come to the New Testament, we know that the promise was fulfilled by who? By Jesus. By Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a descendant of Abraham and blessed the whole world by giving the whole world, not just the Jewish nation, the opportunity to come into the people of God. Does that make sense? So, what Paul has said so far is that... 
to a crowd of people, he's saying, you're all lost. You're all under the wrath of God. And Jesus, Jesus is the only way out. Jesus is the only righteousness that you can have. There is no other righteousness outside of him. And if you don't come by him, you don't get in. Now, a Jewish person who had grown up being Jewish and Abraham, they would stand up and say, whoa, 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 you can't say Jesus is the only way for me because I'm a child of Abraham. We are the, we are the people. We are the Jewish nation. We are the sons and daughters of Abraham. God gave Abraham the promise. Therefore, you can't, uh, you, you can't say that, that I am under God's wrath because I am one of these. I am God's people. How that would apply to me and you is we say, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up here in the Bible Belt. I, I go to church all the time and I'm part of this family that does all these things. You can't say that I'm lost and I'm a wretched sinner. So that's what he's going to talk about. Let's read uh, the first. The, he introduces the objection in one and two. It says, what shall we say then that our, our that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, that means we're his descendants physically, has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, then he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. That's the objection, okay? What do we say about Abraham? So far, chapters 1, 2, and 3 have told us how awful and sinful and without goodness and totally lost and totally under wrath we are. The end of chapter 3 introduced us to this, this righteousness of God that has come through Jesus Christ, this righteousness that he paid for on the cross. And so now what's happening is he's anticipating the objection of somebody standing up and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, 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 I'm one of Abraham's children. You can't tell me that I'm lost and I've got to come through this, this uh, criminal who was crucified. You know, that's what he would be object, objecting to. And he says, he says, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, that was the central thing. Abraham was the perfect man, always did what God, this is what they would say, always did what God wanted him to do, always kept the law. It was because of Abraham's goodness and his work that God justified him and made a people out of him. That's what they would say. But Paul here, at the end of that verse, look at, at the end of verse 2, it says, he could, he could boast if he was justified by works, but not before God. Not before God. And why is that? Remember we talked about it in Romans 3? Because there's no one that does righteous. No one that seeks after God. No one that understands. No one. And that includes Abraham. Abraham wasn't a perfect, perfect man either. Nobody was a perfect man except for, except for Christ. So he's going to go on to show us that the Old Testament, all those books that, all those books that maybe are harder to read, I don't know about y'all, but like when I get to reading Leviticus or something, I mean, it's like, you know, I, okay, I, I may not be getting it right now, but I, when you read those things, that is a whole complete story that teaches you justification by faith in the one who is to come. And now we live in the New Testament, we know the one that is was to come and has come and has given us righteousness. So Paul's going to show us in verses 3 through 8 that both Abraham and David taught that justification, which means salvation, which means um, if I put all of my sin on your account and Jesus puts all his sin on my account, that's justification. 
Okay, everybody got me? Let me explain it just one more time so make sure you know. Justified means that here I stand and God's judging me. He's looking down at me. He's looking at me as if here I am and I'm in judgment and he's the judge and he's up on the judge's bench. And justified means when he looks at me and he goes to pronounce judgment on my sins, there are none. That means all he sees is the perfect, perfect life that Jesus Christ has lived. You understand what I'm saying? So even though, even though I know in my heart and, and, and everybody knows that you, you know your heart, you are a sinner and there's nothing good about you and in your flesh, you, you can tell me all the things that you've done. And when you get to 80 years old, you can tell me all the things that you've done. But justified means God has slammed that gavel down on the bench and said, not guilty. Innocent. He's been declared innocent. He's been declared innocent by Christ's blood. And so when the Father, the judge of all mankind, looks at me, he looks at Michelle, he sees nothing but the blood of Christ. Okay? Now this passage is saying, the objector is saying, Abraham was justified, declared righteous by God, by his works. And Paul's going to refute that. He's going to refute that. And he's going to say, no, sir, the Old Testament has always taught that justification is by faith. Being saved is by faith. So look at verse 3. We're going to go through the whole chapter. I'm going to try to get done before 10, and then we can talk about it for about 10 or 15 minutes. It says, for what saith the Scripture? He's saying, look, he says, for if Abraham were justified by works... He hath whereof to glory, but not before God. And then this is why he did he could not glory before God in his works. For what saith the scripture? Abraham did what? Believed God, and it was what? Counted unto him for righteousness. That word counted, that's what we're talking about. Declared, declared righteous. It was counted unto him for righteous. Now, to him that works, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. What does that mean? What do you think? Like if I work, if I go and I go to work for Dean and I get Dean, I'm going to clean your yard and you're going to give me 20 bucks and I clean Dean's yard. You work, you get wages. Then what happens? He does, he, is it a gift that he gives me 20 bucks? No, no, no. He owes me that 20 bucks, right? Because I did what I said I was going to do. If, if a man works for a wage, he's owed, he can go to his boss and say, look here, boss, I done worked all week. I done did what I was supposed to do. I've made you money. I've done good for you. I've caused you to prosper. I've caused, you know, I've done what I was supposed to do all this week. You owe me my wages. But see, that's exactly what they were saying Abraham could do to God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody standing before the creator of the universe and saying, you owe me? Because I did, I did right. I did good. What? I'm sorry. Well, they thought that. Actually, there's a lot of Jewish writings that say that Abraham was was perfect in God's law once it was given. A lot of them. Yeah, I'll quote some to you later if you want. I mean, he was the perfect example of not necessarily that he was sinless, but that his works earned him the position of being friend of God. And therefore, his seed 
would be the one that inherited the promises to Abraham because of his obedience. Make sense? Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, not necessarily I am the sinless man that's re- but I have earned my status as friend of God, son of God, and my descendants have received this promise. The man that the man now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt, but to him that works not, but believes on who? Him. Him that does what? Justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as what? Okay. Now he's talking about Abraham here. So if a, if a man says, wait, 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 I'm Abraham's child. You can't say that I'm lost. You can't say that I'm under wrath. For us, it would be like, hey, whoa, whoa. I, I, was, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents are Christian. I've known about this Jesus thing my whole life. I, I, I know the Bible. I learned it in Sunday school. Whatever you put in that slot to fill the gap that makes me good before God, that makes me righteous before God, whatever you can put in that slot, it's going to be worthless because Christ and his death and his resurrection is the only thing that can fill that slot. And without Christ, and this is very important for y'all to understand, without Christ making you righteous before the Father, you have no chance. I have no chance because our sins are, they're, they're, um, it's impossible to wash them away other than outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can wash them away. It's the only thing that can cover them. So whatever you put in that slot to make me righteous before God, to earn my position before God, to say, God, I have earned the right to be here. I have earned the right to stand before you. I have earned the right... With my goodness, with my uh, attendance, with my being good to people, with my whatever. I mean, good to my family. I've raised eight preachers in my house. I've, I've went and witnessed to 20 million people across the world. Whatever you put in that slot that says, God, you owe me because I've worked for you is worthless. The only thing that the only thing that makes you righteous, the only thing that makes you good before Christ, before God, is Christ and His blood. You understand? But and this is what you need to see is we're going to see this, especially in the next chapter. We're going to start slowing down in the next chapter because it's important. When Christ does make you righteous, He makes you absolutely perfect. There is no. Well, I still, I still have this that God is going to, you know, is God's going to, you know, I could go to hell for this or I could be judged for that. When Christ's righteousness makes you righteous, you are absolutely perfect in your righteousness. There is no, there's no chink in the armor. There's no, there's nothing that can cause you to fall. There's nothing that can cause you to fail to be seen as righteous before God. It's absolutely perfect. So on the one hand, we're filthy and we're worthless. But in Christ Jesus, we're absolutely perfect. And there is nothing that can separate us from God's love from that moment. Make sense? Y'all with me? Okay. So, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but debt. We talked about that. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on, he believed on him that justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. What they're talking about there is Genesis 15, 6. Um, God promised Abraham to be the father of many nations. And so, uh, later on, that was in Genesis 12. In Genesis 15, God says, I'm going to make you the the 
father of many nations and the world is going to be blessed through you. And Abraham started complaining. He said, well, how do I know? You ain't even give me a son. I don't even have a son. It's like this servant in my house is going to be, is going to be the heir to my, to my, uh, my estate, my stuff. I, I, how do I know that what you're going to do to show me that I'm going to be the, you know, the father of many nations? He said, you walk outside and look at the stars and Abraham's standing there. Now listen, he's standing there. He ain't done nothing. He ain't done nothing. He ain't, he's standing there looking at the stars. And God said, so are your seeds going to be as many as the stars in the sky? And that right there is when it says, and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, what he's saying here is talking about the one that doesn't work. Abraham hadn't done nothing at this point. In fact, he, he wasn't even a Jew yet. There, there was no such thing as Jewish people yet. It was Abraham. He was standing there complaining to God. I mean, uh, matter of fact, you can make a good case. He was sinning just doing that, looking up at the stars. And it says, how was he justified? He was justified because he believed in God. And that's what it says. Simple as that. So that's the story that he's looking at right here. That he believed on the one who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Even as David also describes the blessedness of a man. He's going to switch here. For, uh, for the Jewish person, David was the greatest king that ever ruled Israel. He was the man after God's own heart. He was the, you know, he was, no king was greater than David on and on through scripture. Even in the New Testament, you can see that David held a prominent place in Israel because they were always talking about a king who would come, who would sit on the throne of David, a king who would rule with the scepter of David. Who was that king? It was Christ. It was Jesus. He came and ruled on that throne because God made David a promise. But we all know that David wasn't perfect, right? Everybody's got a good idea about that story. But this is what David said, verse 7. It says, Blessed are those, are they, whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Can you imagine? What, kind, what, what is he talking about there? He's talking about not a perfect man, not a man that works to earn his righteousness, not a man that works to earn his place before God, but a man that trusts in God. And what does God do with his sin? He forgives. He says it doesn't impute. Impute is what we mean by declare. Like, if I declared you guilty, I'm imputing guilt upon you. If I declare you righteous, I'm imputing righteousness on you. Okay, so it says his iniquities are forgiven and his sins are what? That's right. It says they're, they're covered. Verse 7. How are they covered or remembered no more? Yeah, that's right. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the book of Romans. It's, it's Jesus Christ and nothing else. And Paul is talking about this, and he's using a lot of Old Testament Abraham stuff like that. But what he's doing is making a case that there is nothing you can do to work to earn your righteousness. And once you're saved, Christian, there's nothing you can do to work to keep your righteousness. And I know that sounds, that sounds kind of scandalous. 
And it really is. And it was to the Jewish people that were listening. But then we're going to get to verse uh, chapter 5 is going to show us about justification. And then chapter 6 is going to talk about, you know, a lot. When, that, when, you, when you talk about this right here, about being justified and nothing can take it. The first question that always comes up is, oh, so I can just go sin all I want? No, we ain't got to that yet. Chapter 6, he's going to say, shall we continue in sin? And we're going to go through all that too. But right now, what he's saying is, there is no working for your righteousness. There is no working to keep what God has given to you as a free gift. If you could work to get it, it's not grace. It's what? What did he say in verse 4? It's debt. It's, oh, God owes me. If you can work to keep it, it's not grace. It's what? Come on, y'all get it. It's debt. If I can work to keep my salvation, then God owes me my salvation. See what I mean? If I can work and maintain it, keep it, he has no right to mess with it because I've earned it. But the reality is, it's a gift. I have no right to it, but he gave it to me. I have, I have no way of maintaining it because I'm still sinful. Without, if Christ, this is impossible to happen, but if Christ were to somehow remove his blood from me, which is impossible, but let's just say for the sake of argument, if he were just to somehow remove his, his uh, death from my life, God would see all my ugliness, all my, all my filthiness, all my stuff. The only thing that I have that I can stand before God with, and the only thing you have, is Christ. But with Him, it's perfect. Okay, so you got to understand that too. On one side, it's really bad. On the other side, it's really good because it's perfection. It's not just he, he made it okay now. It's not just God, Jesus brought me back to zero and now I'm zeroed out with God and let's start going now. No, sir. He brought you to perfect holiness with God. When fa the Father looks at you, He sees perfect holiness. He doesn't see just a blank slate. He sees perfect goodness. He sees perfect righteousness. So the blessedness that he's talking about for the man that doesn't impute, that is not his sins not imputed, verse 9 says, Does this blessedness, cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, upon the circum only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Let me explain, let me explain this. Circumcision was the sign that you were part of God's people. Okay? Try explaining circumcision to a bunch of teenagers. It's, it's weird. Let me read this to you. This is just one quote that I found in a, in a Jewish book. It's like second century. It says, everyone that is born, this is a Jew talking, this is not Bible. Everyone that is born is flesh, the flesh of whose foreskin is not circumcised on the eighth day belongs not to the children of the covenant which the Lord made with Abraham, but to the children of destruction, nor is there moreover any sign on him that he is the Lord's. That was how important circumcision was to these people. They were saying, look, if you don't have the sign, then there's no you are not part of God's people. And this is what Paul is debunking right here. He says, come this blessedness, let me read it one more time. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision? The uncircumcision would be us, the Gentiles. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. That's kind of a tongue twister. But what he's saying, all right, let me, let me break it down for you. He's saying... 
Okay, just picture it now. Paul is in the synagogue and he's preaching Christ. Okay, he's saying you're worthless and you're sinful and you're all under God's wrath. And here's Jesus. He came to save you. He came to redeem you. He came to give you all this thing. Uh, a Jewish guy stands up and says, oh, I, I'm a child of Abraham. You, you, you're wrong because I'm not under God's wrath. I'm, I'm one of his. Okay, he tells him that, hey, Abraham was justified by faith. So you don't have no right to say just because I'm a child of Abraham. You know, I mean, you have to have faith. You have to have faith in the one that's come to save you, is Christ. And he says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute now, Paul. Uh, we have the circumcision. We're not like the filthy Gentiles. We have the sign that God put upon us that we are his people. We have the sign that says we are in covenant with him and that we are part of his people. Now, what does Paul say right here to rebut that argument? He says, look here, when Abraham was justified... He was justified a filthy Gentile. There were no such thing as Jews when Abraham was justified. Abraham was the first one. It was from him that they all came. He was standing. Remember what we said? Abraham was standing under the stars, looking up at the stars. God said, this is, how, this is what your seed will be and the whole world will be blessed. And it, it, he's standing there. He's not Jewish. He's not circumcised. He's not nothing. He's standing there. It says he believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so what he's saying is, guess what? Your circumcision, it's just a sign. It's just a sign. It would be like, it would be like me standing up and saying, whoa, 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 Jason. You can't say I'm under God's wrath because I've been baptized. Okay? That's the sign that we've been saying. That's the sign of our faith. It's the sign of the covenant with us. And look what Paul says. I'm going to explain that in just a second. It says, and he received the sign of circumcision. What is it? It is a seal of the righteousness of what? Of the faith which he had being uncircumcised. That he might be the father of who? All them that believe. Though they not be not uncircumcised, that righteousness may be imputed to them also. And the father of the circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but also who walk in what? The steps of what? Faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. He's saying, look here. This, remember the picture. Paul in the synagogue preaching Jesus. Jewish rabbi stands up and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. He says, we have the sign of circumcision. He says, man, look. The sign that you have is a sign and a seal of the righteousness that comes by faith. He says, if you don't have faith, then the sign is meaningless. He said, Jesus came. God is the God who came to bring righteousness to those that are circumcised and uncircumcised. What he's talking about is Jew and Gentile. Because for the Jewish people, Gentiles were like, I mean, you talk about racism. They were like dirty. No Gentile went to the kingdom of God. You know, there's all kind of those, those little sayings. But he said, no matter who you are, whether you're the filthiest, nastiest, dirtiest sinner, just absolutely horrible, I mean, just picture it in your mind, the worst you could possibly be, or you're the greatest religious man keeping the laws of God, trying to do your best, working and working and slaving on both ends of the spectrum, you have nothing before the Father, and Jesus has come by faith. You can have the perfection and the righteousness of God. You see that Paul seeing that? Y'all understand? Any questions? Am I losing anybody? Anything confusing? 
What he's saying is whether you're circumcised, uncircumcised, whether you're Jew, Gentile, whether you're religious, whether you're absolutely horrible sinner, the same righteousness has been brought to you and it's a righteousness that comes by faith. Abraham, way back in the Old Testament, received it by faith. You today will receive it by faith. You won't receive it by any religious ritual, any rite, and there are not a high class of people that can receive it and a low class of people that can't receive it. It's open to all. It's open to everybody, no matter who you are. Okay? And you do you think that that's the reason why there are so many different spectrum of uh, um, denominations? Because so many people have such a hard time buying into the, the non-working aspect of it, that it, should, that it is a gift through faith. Well, if, if, a, if a denomination doesn't accept that it's a gift through faith, I would question whether they were Christian to begin with. Oh, I absolutely agree with you, but that's what I'm saying. Do you think that's where that, has, that the denominational spread has fallen from, though? So I mean, you know, this one is not comprehending. Because that is something that's hard for your mind to wrap around. That you guys really end up with the girl being Oh yeah, it's so easy. It's so easy. It's hard. I mean, it's it's just it's so it's so it's so easy that a four-year-old can understand it. But for adults, it's just hard. I, I want to work to earn my spot, man. I want to, you know, and we do work, but we work because it's been given. You know, we'll get to that when we come to Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue to sin? But yet, I mean, last week, Bob Ford or Matthew accepted the Lord, and it was so, it was so easy for him. I mean, you could ask him the plan of salvation, and he could tell you frontwards and backwards. And when it is, it is, in fact, first his, his pastor was, I just believe that Jesus is living in my heart. And that's enough. I mean, what does it say? It is a, I mean, a lot of times, especially, you know, and I fall into this too sometimes. A lot of times I want folks, you know, to, I catch myself doing, it's not right, but I, I want folks to give me a theological dissertation about what it means to, you know what I mean? Like when the reality is, it says Abraham believed. He believed, he believed on God who justifies the ungodly and it was counted him as righteous. I mean, it's as simple as that. Just simple faith, simple grace by faith in the one who came and died on the cross for me. I mean, it, it, I mean, you can make it as complicated as you want to, but when you boil it right down to it, it's just, it's just, hey, you know what? I believe. It's as simple as that. And even saying that, you know, you, you're thinking about family members that maybe say they're Christians and you know they're not. And he's like, well, it ain't that easy for them. They got to straighten up. You know, they got to straighten up and do better for, you know. And, and we're going to talk about the fruits of your life and what salvation does in your life later on. But right now, you just need to see that it's, it's faith. And that's it. There's no... There's no bells and whistles. There's no, you know, you got to do 400 push-ups today, you know, or God's not going to love you, or you got to go help eight homeless people, or all that stuff is good, and all that stuff is great, but it's not adding one thing. Like, I'm standing up here teaching this Sunday school class, and that's a good thing. People need to learn about Christ. I enjoy doing it. I really do. But it ain't adding not one thing. When God looks at me, the only reason I'll get a reward for anything I do is because first, Jesus cleansed me and therefore cleansed what I do. See what I mean? Okay. So let's, we're, we're going to be late. Let's hurry. Uh, 13 says, for the promise, talking about Abraham's promise, 
that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Okay, first, did you see it? He said, Abraham and David teach justification by faith. Second, he said, Abraham wasn't justified because of his circumcision. He was justified before he was circumcised. Uh, Circumcision came in Genesis 17. Now he's going to say, Abraham wasn't justified by keeping the law. So you can't say that either. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of what? Faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs. So if you can work your way there by the law, faith is made what? Void. Faith is made void and the promise is what? It's of none effect. Okay? If I can work my way there, I'm not dependent on God's promise. I'm dependent on my own works. I'm dependent on what I do. If I, listen, if I can work my way there by His law, I don't need Him to promise me nothing. I can do it. See what I mean? But He's saying, if if you believe that you're an heir because of what you're doing through the law, then you don't have God's promise anyway. Can you imagine the Jewish guy, Paul's teaching? He stands up and says, wait a minute, I'm Abraham. I'm child of Abraham. I'm God. You know, we follow the law, blah, blah, blah. Paul said, look, if you can get it by following the law, you can't claim Abraham's promise because you don't need a promise. You don't need any kind of promise from God. You working it out your own self, working it through the law. It says, because the law works wrath. That's the only thing the law brings. The law, remember last week, uh, Romans 3, says what, what does the law do? It shuts your mouth and, and condemns the whole world under sin. That's what the law does. It shows you how nasty that you are. Uh, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Whose seed are we talking about? Abraham's right. That's what he said. I'm Abraham's seed. I can do what I want. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of what? The faith of who? Abraham. And we are that seed. Those who trust in Christ. Remember? Because Abraham's standing under the stars, Genesis 15. And what did he do? What did he do to get righteousness? He believed on the one who justifies the ungodly. Abraham believed it was credited to him as righteousness. And it says, you, everyone, Jew, Gentile, fat, ugly, rich, poor, black, white, anybody on this planet who trusts in Jesus is made heir of that promise. Not because they are the physical seed of Abraham, because they are the seed of Abraham, because they, they, they have the faith of Abraham. That's what it's saying. Y'all get that? Verse 16. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls things which be not as though they were. That's the one he believed on, who against hope, believed in hope. This is what Abraham believed. Abraham, against hope, verse 18, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And listen, these two verses... These two verses is what I, I mean, these, they're, they're really special to me anyway, but it's describing Abraham. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Remember, he promised, God promised Abraham a son. Abraham's like, dude, I'm too old to have a kid. I'm too old to have a kid. Sarah's back in the tent laughing at God's promise. We can't have no kids. We all old and there ain't no way we can have no kids. 
But it says Abraham, even though Sarah is back there laughing, not believing, Abraham, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider her womb dead. All this stuff makes it impossible for him to be the father of enemy nations, but he didn't consider any of that stuff. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was what? It was imputed to him for righteousness. That's the faith. Listen, that's what faith, that's what faith is, okay? I know I'm all these things. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm ugly. I know I'm bad before God. I know I'm unrighteous. I know, I mean, I I can't do better. It's impossible for me to straighten up. You just put all the impossible circumstances all on one thing and you just roll them up to the cart and you've got all this impossibility. It says Abraham, he took all that impossibility and he just brushed it aside and he was fully persuaded that the one who promised was able to perform what he had promised. And that's what, that's what we do in salvation. Listen, I know my own heart and you know your own heart. It's ugly. Mine's ugly. And I know that, but what I want to say is despite all the things that I am, all the things that I, I wrestle with, pride, anger, uh, lust, malice, greed, fle- you know, all the flesh that the Spirit has to war with in my life, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, not because I'm so awesome or so spiritual or whatever, but because I have chosen to trust that He who promised is able to perform it. Right. So when I stand, I tell this story before. Um, there was a time when I was first saved. I was in the, I was in the shower, and like I don't know. I, that's just where I was. I don't know why that's important to the story, but and the thought crossed my mind. It said, you know, what if Jesus is not the only way? What if he's not the right way? What if what if you're missing something? And the next thought, the next thought that came through my mind was then you're not growing because you put all your eggs in that one basket. And that's where I'm going to keep my eggs. Does that make sense? And I, I knew right then, you know, there, there's a question there. What if, what if he's not the only way? And the answer is, then I'm not going because all my trust is in him. All my faith is in him. All had that conversation where if, if, the, if, if the end of all is the end of life, it was not like you said, it was not what I still choose yeah, and the re- I'm not just saying that I'm not just saying that. Oh, we all need to just shut our eyes. And I'm, it's true. It's more than true. It's absolutely true. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that it's true. Now, you know, Satan can whisper in my ear. My neighbor can talk this or that. We can have arguments about you know evolution and all the blah 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 blah. blah. But regardless of all that mess, it's true, and I I believe it and I trust it. And when I stand before, you've heard the question, why are you going to enter heaven? When I stand before God and he says, you know, why do I need to let you in or what, what, you know, whatever he's going to say, I'm going to stand there at my trial, if that's what it's going to be, at my judgment. And I'm going to say, I ain't got no evidence. I ain't got no, I ain't got nothing to offer. 
all I got is Jesus and his, and his death. If His death ain't enough, then I ain't got nothing else. I don't offer no evidence of how good I am because I ain't good. I don't offer none. That's what faith is. It says, Abraham, he staggered not at the promise through unbelief, but was strong in faith. We got 10 minutes and we got four more verses, so let's read them. Giving glory to God, verse 21, and being fully persuaded what he had promised, he was able to perform it. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. God gave him his own righteousness because of his faith. Not because of his works. Not because of keeping the law. Not because he was part of the special people of God. Not because he was circumcised. But because he believed. Now here's verse 23. You say, Jason, okay, we learned a lot about Jewish people today. But here's where Paul brings it home to us. Verse 23 said, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if what? We believe on him that what? Raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was, Jesus was delivered for what? Our offenses and was raised again for what? Our justification. So he says, this ain't just a historical study about Abraham and David and circumcision and all this stuff. This is about you guys. This is about your life right now. All this stuff has to do with is saying that this whole book, this whole story of God, this whole history of salvation down through the years and from the beginning of time and Adam down through this and that. And that this whole story is your story. It's your story. It's not just about some ancient people living in a faraway land. This is your story because it, this same righteousness that was imputed to Abraham by faith, was imputed to David by faith, was imputed to all these people by faith, is imputed to you by faith in Jesus Christ who was delivered for what? What does it say? Come on, we just read it. Delivered for our offenses. That's how our sins are taken out of the way. Because he, we trust that he was delivered over to the cross. And that he died on the cross. And that he paid for all those things. And that three days later, he rose from the dead. Therefore, we can be justified. That last word in that, in that chapter. For our justification. That means, we like to say, just as if I'd never sinned. If you look, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. If you, God looks at you, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Perfect. Not by works, not by law, not by being some special class of people, not by being, not by being anything other than believing in the one who, what did it say, justifies the ungodly. You understand? So you and I, if we trust in Christ, we have claim to the promise of Abraham. We have claim to the promises made to David. We have claim to the promises made to Israel. We are the Israel of God who worship in spirit and truth and trust and follow Jesus Christ, our Savior. Everybody make sense? Are you with me? And now in the next chapter, chapter 5, he's going to take apart this justification. And what I want to do is I want to just I want to slow down a little bit in chapter 5 and look at the first 11 verses instead of the whole chapter. And we're going to take apart what it means to be justified by faith 
and we're going to take apart what it means to stand in grace. Because that's the heart of who we are as Christians. And if if we don't get that right, then nothing else can be right. Grace by faith. Okay? Y'all with me? All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you, God, and we thank you, God. How can we? How can we? How can we even express how thankful we should be, God, for what you've done? All, all the things that that we failed at, all the things that we're unable to do, and here you came and justified us when we were yet sinners. You came and just offered yourself for us, and you yourself, being the judge who was to judge us guilty and send us away, you came yourself and paid the penalty that we deserved so that we could be righteous in your sight. We could be in relationship with you for for eternity. God, we love you. Father, we, we're going into this worship service just in awe of what you've done for us and our salvation, God, what you've done in our lives, what you're continuing to do as you grow us and, and you make us more like, like you every day, God. We, we're just in awe of that, God. And so, God, when we, when we come into worship today, we're going we're gonna to go in, God, just with hearts ready to praise you, hearts ready to give you the glory that you deserve. Father, we ask you to be with uh, uh, Brother Eddie as he brings the word today, and we ask you to just open our hearts and make us receive. Make us able to, God, just to, to hear what you've told him, Lord, to receive, receive from you what you gave him and that he's going to give to us, God. We just pray that you would just use him and, and use this service, Lord, as a time to change us and to mold us, God. We love you. Father, we praise you. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. And God, we just, uh, we, we, can't, we can't worship you enough today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.